0: Good evening, and welcome back to Sunday Night Studying. Glad that you are in attendance. Uh, you may have noted this morning that we had a bit more of an emptier teen section than we normally do. I'd asked Jeff, but I didn't hear anything till after we had already started our morning services. But it didn't, if you didn't know, they had about uh, 40 teenagers and several sponsors head down to Arlington, Texas, and... Uh, for a, a weekend, uh, I'd say a youth rally, but it is uh, thousands of teenagers and people from around the country, so it's always a, a good, edifying, spiritual uh, time of renewal for our teens mid, midway through the school year. So they are traveling back from that this evening, and uh, keep them in your thoughts and prayers, and hopefully they'll be back here in about an hour and a half or so, um, As I told you this morning, the subject uh, had about seven uh, versions of the sermon before I finally landed on uh, this is the hard thing about being a perfectionist is um, you never feel like you're all the way there. And so in the process of writing and editing and doing some more writing and editing, um, tonight I, I wanted to share with you version number five. Uh, from my studies, I want you to turn to what we call the book, what was actually the letter uh, that we call First Timothy, is where we will be tonight. For the most part, uh, just one verse that I want to look at in thinking about the God who we serve and whom we worship. First and Second Timothy both are a... Uh, collection of wisdom from the wise apostle who had been called in an unusual way. He was uh, an abnormal apostle, you might say. Paul's was a unique calling, but he was, he was Jesus' chosen instrument, and that's really important. Some areas of Christendom, uh, they're not real big fans of the writings of Paul. Uh, they'll say, well, I, I just follow Jesus, not Paul. And you really can't do that because Jesus himself said, Paul is my chosen instrument. So if you ignore Paul, you effectively are ignoring Jesus. Uh, of course, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the head. Paul himself would admit to that. But Paul had a special and unique calling and a role of teaching uh, as a as a minister and an evangelist to the Gentiles, not only establishing churches but in helping Establish a legacy for those who would come after him. He starts First Timothy by saying, "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from the from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord." Then he'll give some warnings, as he often did, about those who were false teachers, false apostles. Uh, who existed, who taught the gospel or taught some form of the gospel and usually had uh, uh, sought to a, a means of an end to financial gain. And so Paul begins with a warning to Timothy about resisting those who are teaching false doctrine and false teaching. A good reminder, it's important for us to pay attention to our doctrine. Uh, Then he talks about a little bit of his own personal story. He brings this in, starting about verse 12. Uh, He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent... As the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It's a powerful testimony. I've given you, just in case you're paying attention, a part of that is a little bit of a preview for next Sunday's lesson. So, not to give a spoiler, um, but then in verse 17, he says this, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In this simple verse, Paul gives a profound description of the nature of God. And that's the verse I want to meditate on tonight as part of our study. We're going to have... Lots of scripture, as we often do for Sunday night study. And so, if you have your Bibles, be ready to go. Um, First, he says, to the king of the ages, which reminds us that God is sovereign. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to be here a couple of times this evening during this lesson, but the first, first reference I want to look at is in verse 23 of Isaiah chapter 40. The prophet describes God this way, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. If you ever get worried or concerned about our leadership, people in government, people in political power, people in uh, authority, and, and in our time it's easy to get frustrated with all of it. There's great hope in the reminder that we serve a God greater than all of them, that he brings princes to naught, that he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. If you want to think more on that thought, we're not going to read it or even go beyond just mentioning it, but Psalm chapter 2 is another reminder of that promise that this world is not our home, and that's true. But as men come to power, and some men use that power abusively or in corrupt fashion, for their own gain, be reminded and take hope that God is still in control. And he still brings the princes of this world to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 115, verse 3, that our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Now, for a human king or ruler, that would be a problem to, to be able to do anything that you please because we have a fleshly nature and we have a selfish nature. And so you get a person in power who does all they please, there's never going to end up in, in anything good. But it's not that way with God. He's sovereign, He's perfect, He's holy. He's just. He always does what, he's right, what is right. He does all that he pleases and will never make a mistake. You ever do all that you please? You ever have a limited window when you get to do all that you want? Children understand this. When they go visit their grandparents, they have the opportunity to do all that they please. And that's okay for a little while. But that's gets you in trouble in, over the long term. Maybe in your own life you've had times when you did whatever you wanted. Well... You know that because of your nature, that will not end up good. But God, who is sovereign, does all that he pleases and always makes the right decision. God's the highest authority of all authorities in all matters. And his will and his commands are perfect, absolute, unchanging. He is sovereign, and both his plans and his purposes will always prevail. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. I've been instructed not to sing from the pulpit, so I'll not do it. But one of my favorite hymns is, This is My Father's World. One of the lines in there is, Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is still ruler yet. Reminding us of the sovereignty and the power of God. The second quality that Paul brings out, he says, To the king of the ages, immortal." In the book of Numbers, chapter twenty-three, we're told this concerning the Lord God. He says, "God is not human." This is the story of uh, Balaam and Balak, and that, that whole story. And verse uh, verse nineteen, he says, "God is not human; that He should lie." That he should lie, not a human being. That he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God's immortal. And I think there's... um, When talking, speaking of immortal, we're saying he's timeless. You and I are bound by time. We can't even... we We can't even think outside of time. Uh... You're, you're mindful of the time right now. If I keep going too long, you'll really be mindful of the time. That's just the way we are. We're locked in a world of time. Some cultures do that more than others. Um, God is not mindful of time in the way that we are mindful of time. You have a birth date and someday you'll have a death date. You have a season of your life when you work and a season of your life when you You have a season of your life when you raise children, a season of your life when you spoil your grandchildren. There are seasons and times, and these are things that are assigned to men, not to God, who is outside of time. He's immortal. Uh, Back to Isaiah chapter 40. I told you it would be there a couple of times. Here's the second one. Isaiah chapter 40. This one you probably not uh, uh, will know quite well. Isaiah 40, verse 28 and following. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is infinite in nature. The children are at that school our our children attend they place a big emphasis on the story of the world, the history of the world. They study the classic works. They study historical literature by great men and and wicked men alike. Why do they do that? Well, they do that so that they instruct students in the basic premise that there was a world that existed long before them. And to understand the context of the world that came before them is really important if they want to have success in the life that God has granted them. Someone once said, to not understand history is to remain forever a child. Because you believe the world started when you entered it and will end when you leave it. Wisdom says we look at the big picture From beginning to end, God's wisdom is even more timeless in that it's infinite in nature before any of this ever was, and long after any of it will be, he is. What he told Moses this morning at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Psalm chapter 90, the psalmist wrote these words. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's really kind of scary to try to imagine eternity. You ever try to do that? You ever try to think about eternity? after you die, that you will exist in one state or the other for eternity. And if, you, if you'll dwell on that just long enough, it can almost frighten you. <laughs> because any amount of time that you've had in your life has come to an end. You know, the old saying, this too shall pass. For good or for ill, this too shall pass. But when you step into eternity, it won't be that way. God's always been. He is without beginning or end. He is the everlasting creator. He is the creator with eternal nature and existence. When we say he's immortal, we're not just saying he's timeless. That's one aspect of it. We're saying he's not mortal. He's above us. He's beyond us. He's greater than us. And that is where true wisdom begins in understanding uh, that there is a creator who's much greater and higher and more powerful than you'll ever be. Third characteristic, he is invisible, what I call unseen. God told uh, Jesus told the woman at the well, who wanted to argue about religious matters, that God, this is John 4, 24, God is spirit. His worshipers, those who worship him, must worship in spirit and in truth. The the woman was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And they argued about external things. Where does the temple go? And what do the priests do? And these were external things. Not that those things were bad. But Jesus said, the God that you're inquiring about is spiritual. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When you try to imagine God, you naturally go to human characteristics. What does God look like? What is his skin color and his eye color and his hair color? You, you immediately go to physical attributes. You're thinking in the wrong direction if you're thinking in that way, because God is spirit. He's invisible, Paul says. <clears throat> Turn to Acts chapter 17. Paul gave a whole speech on this to a very religious people, and yet they didn't know God. It's not unlike today. There's a lot of people who would say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Another way of saying that is they're spiritual, but they don't know about this this God. The God whom we serve. We're in verses 24 through 29, if you're following along, of, John, of Acts 17. The <clears throat> Paul's in Athens. Uh, he is uh, addressing the Oropagus, and he's uh, what is called the Sermon on Mars Hill. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, and yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, and here he's quoting one of their poets, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Again, man was designed to worship. We are inclined to worship something. If not the true God of heaven, we will worship something or someone. It's outside of your nature not to do so. God wired you that way. But as you seek God, you will naturally want to seek Something physical, something seen. They had idols. They had a whole collection. In fact, Paul would precede his talk by saying, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. He was going to this very spiritual, but not religious people, this group of people who tried to worship God in their own image, tried to worship a spiritual God in a physical way, and he uh, uh, proclaimed this unknown God, this God who's invisible, who's immortal, who's spiritual, who doesn't need us to fulfill him. He doesn't require from us, who doesn't accept our gifts of gold and silver because he needs them. But instead, he gives to us every spiritual blessing. He gives to us his own son. He gives to us because he loves us. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in the beginning of that book, Romans chapter 1. He says... For his invisible attributes, invisible attributes, now what does he say? Namely, his eternal power, number one, and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. He says there's invisible attributes of God, and yet you can see him if you really want to. You can clearly perceive the eternal power and the divine nature of God. And you've been able to do that since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. That is a creative cell phone ring. Whoever has it. I don't know. That's good. So he says, (laughs) even people who desire to... (laughs) I thought it was unflappable, but I'm getting close here. Okay, so... (laughs) even people who desire to know this unknown God are without excuse because they see him. You say, how do we see God? Paul says, you can see this clearly in everything in creation. The people who say, well, I... The hardcore atheist who says, I don't believe in God. I only believe in things that I can see, which is not true at all. believe lots of things they can't see but they want to pick out God because they say they can't see him. The agnostic who says, I don't really know, and I don't really want to make a decision about God. Make a decision about God because they ignore the overwhelming evidence of an invisible God in everything that we can see. I had a conversation with a sister outside this morning, and she was talking about, she said, uh, she said, I get as emotional as you do when I consider God. She said, when I think of God, when I look outside on a a very... You know, There's no light pollution, and I can look into the heavens and see the stars and see the part of the Milky Way galaxy, and I can see things, and I can look at the, the moon that's so bright and big, and it's one of the smallest parts of the universe. And I, I can see there's evidence of design. There's there's, there's evidence of intelligence. There's, there's evidence of something, someone greater than I am. But she said, it's not just when I look up. She said, it's when I consider... Consider all the things of the world. If I can think of the smallest thing, the, the atom, DNA, quarks, even the smallest parts of the created world that we can even see, some of which are even theoretical. And yet there's design. There's structure. The evidence of God is everywhere. From the smallest to the greatest. When I consider the works of your hand, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Number four, he says he's the only God, which in my mind means he's unparalleled. Exodus chapter 15, if you're still following along, I commend you for your fast fingers. The song of Moses, sung by Moses and Miriam in verse 11 of that song, Who is like you? Remember, this is just after they've gone through the Red Sea and they have seen, they walked through this giant sea full of water on both sides and they walked through on dry ground and they watched Pharaoh come into his destruction and they w- watched God do an almighty, all-powerful, inexplainable, indescribable work. And as they rejoice in that victory that God bl- brought to them, They say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? He is not only awesome in the truest sense, not in the the way we've kind of resigned it in our language, but in Isaiah chapter 55... The prophet says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God's speaking here. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's humbling. To consider a God like that, who's unparalleled, who's unmatched. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how wise you are. I don't care how powerful you are, how influential you are. God's ways are still higher than your ways. His thoughts are still higher than your thoughts. We understand that. Parents understand that as they're training their children. Their children, you know, whether it's wanting a puppy whether it's a teenager wanting to stay out till 2 in the morning, uh, whether it's a young adult not quite understanding why he should pay for his own cell phone or insurance. We as parents understand that there's a life ahead of them, and so our thoughts are higher than their thoughts. Our ways are higher than their ways. Not in the same way that God is higher than us, but in a small infinitely smaller degree, at a human level, we understand that at some point, point, children have to trust their parents, that their ways are higher and better, and that ultimately, and this is what it requires, we have to trust that not only are his ways and his thoughts higher and better than ours, but that he loves us, and that he wants what's best for us. If in your walk with God, you've ever come to a point and you say, God, I don't understand That's sort of the point. You have to trust someone whose thoughts are higher than yours, who sees a bigger picture than you do, whose ways are higher and better than your ways. And he's greater. He's awesome. He's higher and he's greater. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. The prophet says, there is none like you, this is our verses 6 and 7 of Jeremiah chapter 10. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? This is your due, for all, among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. We we take the thought from Isaiah and go just a little bit farther. It's not just that he's better and higher than you. He is... There is no one like him in our world or in the spiritual world. So he's unparalleled. He's the only God. And lastly, he is glorious. Paul says to, to him, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Moses asked to see the glory of God. And when he beheld, however he was able to behold that, (laughs) he literally radiated. He glowed. The the kids today, you know, they use the phrase, it's lit. Moses was lit. (laughs) He was radiating, not from his own goodness, but from his presence with God. Paul saw a glimpse, he was, he says, I knew a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heavens and I saw this vision and he said, it's too good, I'm telling you of things that man is not permitted to tell, you'll just have to trust that he's that good. John had a vision of it, We described it this morning from Revelation 4. And he was awestruck. Every single person who's been given a glimpse of this glorious almighty God has come back changed forever. They were never the same. You say, I wish I could have an experience like that and change everything for me. Maybe God promises that experience in full array. You'll get the full picture if you'll stay faithful to Jesus. He's the way to that. To see a God once and forever who is sovereign, who is timeless, who is unseen, who is paralleled, and who is glorious. You say, that's all very interesting, preacher. Thank you for your study and your exposition. But what do I do with that here on January the 15th of the new year? The so what moment. I want to take you to James 4, verse 8, and then we'll close. James 4, verse 8. Simple as James is, practical as James is, James writes this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So that's my four-word challenge for this week. Draw near to God. Draw near to him as often as possible. You've had the opportunity to do that several times today. Today. I hope that you'll draw near to him daily in prayer. I hope you'll draw near to him in his word. I hope you'll draw near to him in worship. I hope you'll draw near to him in devotion. I hope you'll draw near to him in communion. I hope you'll draw near to him with other saints. Since he is sovereign, may you yield yourself and your life to his will found in his word. He tells you very clearly how He wants you to live and what He wants you to do. So align yourself with that. Because He is timeless, I pray that you will seek His presence and draw near to Him as often as possible. What if, instead of driving and listening to music or a podcast, uh, you listened to the Scripture? There are so many Bible apps that will read it to you. That would be a good thing and put your mind and your heart in the right place, drawing near to God. Since he is unseen, may you continue to seek him by faith, and may you remember, as Paul said, that he is not far from you. As he is unparalleled, may you seek refuge in the shelter of him alone. The Psalm 18, verse 30 describes God, and then it says this very interesting thing in Psalm 18. He says, This God, as for this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. I'm not sure where refuge is for you. Maybe it's in your account balances. Maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's in family, Uh, maybe it's in power, maybe it's in, I don't know, what. where, where is your refuge? The scriptures tell us, may you seek refuge in the God whose way is perfect. And finally, since he is glorious, may you seek his glory in Jesus and give glory in all that you do. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, in heaven, you are indescribable. You are beyond our ability to fully comprehend from a human perspective, from a a mind of finite wisdom and finite limitations and abilities. But Father, you've given us your word so plainly, and it reminds us that you are sovereign, that you are timeless that you are invisible, that you're unparalleled, and that you are glorious. Lord, I pray that we as a people might draw near to you, and we believe and trust the promise that in so doing, you will draw near to us. Thank you for having drawn near to us this day. It's been a wonderful first day of the week. We know why you have commanded your people to worship at the beginning, to set all things in the right order. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen this week. We have our plans, and you certainly have yours, and yours are going to come to fruition. But in all things, we trust you, Lord, and we love you. And we know that you love us because of your Son. And it's in his name that we humbly offer this prayer. Amen. Amen.